All right. Hey, Christ community. Uh, so glad you are here. Before we jump into the message, I wanted to uh, mention that uh, last Tuesday, the Greeley Planning Commission approved our request to allow a church to be built on the 10 acres at Promontory that we're trying to purchase. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the first step. Uh, the next step in the process is the approval of city council. Um, and so, so that's going to happen on May 21st. So uh, our, the, the uh, meeting will happen on May 21st. Lord willing, the vote will as well. So please continue to pray for uh, God's will to be done as we follow him and in all that he has for us. So we are in the midst of a, a teaching series where we're walking through the, the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. The book of Ephesians is a letter written by the apostle Paul to a group of non-Jewish believers, so Greeks, um, in the very metropolitan city of Ephesus. And what makes this letter so powerful is that in it, Paul gives us this amazing description of what it looks like to, to walk with Jesus. What does it look like to be a spiritually healthy person? And what is so significant is how Paul begins this letter. So what he, what he does in the first three chapters is lay this critically important foundation for the spiritual life. And here it is. Here's the foundation. Who you believe you are uh, dictates what you do, okay? Who you believe you are determines what you do. In other words, your identity determines your destiny. So if in your relationship with God, you think of yourself as an orphan, you will live like an orphan, if you don't believe that you are forgiven, you won't live in the joy of forgiveness. See, who you believe you are determines what you do. And this is why Paul spends the first three chapters <coughs> telling you and me who we are in Christ. So in this series, we've already learned that you, we are loved and we are forgiven and we are chosen and we have the Holy Spirit in us and we are raised with Christ and we are sealed with and seated with him in the heavenly realms. All of these vital truths are, are ours and they can transform the way we live if we believe them to be true. Now, having said all of that, I want to I wanna point out a danger that we are all vulnerable to when looking or when talking about looking at these truths about our identity. And our, our natural tendency, especially in our culture, is to view these things through an individualistic lens and mindset. I mean, we live in the world of iPhones and iMessaging and iTunes, right? So much of life is about me. And so it's easy to unintentionally read these passages through the same lens, through our, you know, kind of our iBible, right? What does this say to me? And in doing so, in doing so, we miss something vitally important, not only to our spiritual health, but also to God's heart. See, God's heart is not an I heart. It's a we heart. God's heart is a we heart. God's ultimate purpose, his ultimate purpose is not about us as individuals. It's not. God has a much bigger plan than that, which leads us to the passage that we're looking at today. If you'd like to open up a Bible, feel free to look with me at Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 18. And while you're, while you're finding that passage, if you, if you brought that, um, I want to acknowledge that this message, um, I listen to a lot of messages, but, but this message was significantly influenced by uh, um, a message that inspired me from a pastor named John Stickle, um, who's a pastor at a church in, in Texas. Um, so, okay, just to set the context here, a few weeks ago, 
Pastor Stetson led us um, through the the first the, uh, through the previous verses in this passage that lead up to this. And when Paul is what Paul is describing there is how in Christ there are no barriers, there are no ethnic racial, socioeconomic, political, gender divisions. There is no pecking order in the body of Christ. There are no premium memberships. In Christ, we are one. Okay, so those are the verses leading up to it. Now, beginning in verse 18, Paul takes that truth and then he applies it more specifically. So let me, let me read this passage. For through him, we both, through Christ, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is God's word. Okay, what, what Paul so powerfully describes in this passage is God's plan, <clears throat> God's purpose in restoring this broken world. And notice, God's plan is not simply to bring restoration to a bunch of individuals. No, no, no. His plan is to create a people in whom his presence and glory are on display. <clears throat> Actually, there is more to God's plan than that. He, he is not simply about creating a group of people. He is creating a family. He's creating a family. Look again at verse 19. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. This word household means family. This is describing the closest bond that people can have, not just to be friends or acquaintances or co-workers. No, in Christ, God is actually creating a family. That's what the church is. We are not a building. We are not a worship service. We are not an organization. We are a family. And see, this is a key part of your identity as a Christ follower. In fact, if we go back, if you would go back in chapter one of this book and read it through this family lens rather than the individual lens, suddenly we see this everywhere. Chapter one, verse three, a verse we looked at a lot. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. God is our father. That's family language. And he adopted us into his family. We are beloved sons and daughters of God, which means we suddenly have lots of brothers and sisters, right? God as our father makes us family. Now think for a moment about what God did in order to create this family, he gave his son. See, Jesus gave his life in order for this family to be created. And I, I wonder how God feels when he sees so many Christians freely choosing to disengage from his family or to view it as being unimportant 
or sort of an optional thing. When God gave his all for this to happen. See, the, the church, God's family, is a crucial part of God's plan to bring restoration to the world. So God started with Abraham, and remember what he did? He, create, he called Abraham, and he created a community. It's the nation of Israel. And, and God told Abraham, this, this nation of Israel, the purpose in, in, in kind of forming this nation was not just to bless Israel. The purpose of forming this community was to bless the world. Right? And so then after Jesus' resurrection, when he pours out his spirit in order for his mission to continue, what did he do? He creates this family. He creates this community of faith who are on mission together. That's what the whole book of Acts is about. Right? So we're on mission together. That's what the church is. Again, the church is not a building. We are a family on mission. That's what the church is. We are a family on mission. And that's God's plan. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's what he died to create. And so this mission part is revealed in verse 21 and 22 of the passage we just read. So Paul uses temple language to describe God's family. He says this family, this group of people, rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So God created the church, his family, to be his dwelling place on earth. In other words, he wants us, his family, to display his presence, to display his glory and his love on the earth. That's our mission. That is our mission. We are a family on mission. And so this is why our church is so passionate about being a movement of hope to the city and beyond, for the city and beyond. It's why we're investing hundreds of thousands of dollars every year in ministries of compassion and in training church leaders to display God's presence around the world through this family. We are a family on mission. Again, that's God's end goal, creating a family that is bringing hope to the world. So when you invest your time, when you invest your financial resources or whatever in the work of God through Christ's community, you are investing in that mission. So you're investing in that goal. Okay, but I want to go back. That's the mission part, but I want to go back to talk more about this idea of church as family. Um, yeah, we're a family on mission, but what does this family dynamic look like? See, the, the mission part almost seems to be a natural result of a healthy family. So in Acts chapter 2, um, when, when God's people were gathering together, they were loving each other, and we read this, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I love that. See, when the church is just being a healthy family, people want what we have. So the missional, that this mission part happens almost naturally because what we're offering to the world is exactly what they long for. Okay, which raises the question, so what exactly do people long for? Well, what are people in our world longing for? What is it that specifically the church, God's family, offers to the world and offers to all of us? It's a really important question. And there are two answers. There are two things that we see in this passage. First of all, God's created family, this church, God's created family provides a place to be loved. Provides a place to be loved. A healthy family is a place 
where family members feel safe, where we feel loved and accepted for who we are. So when our kids were little, um, they could run around the house naked, uh, right? They could sing at the top of their lungs. They could dance. They could pretend to be superheroes. They were free to do that because they felt loved and they felt safe to fully be themselves. And Raylene and I would, would try to speak words of life and affirmation whenever possible, speaking blessing over them every night. See, family is a place to experience that. It's a place to experience safety and value and love. But the reality is none of us grew up in a perfect family, right? None of us grew up in a perfect family. I made plenty of mistakes as, as a dad and probably scarred my kids for life, okay? Um, and, and so they're now needing counseling or whatever, right? So, so none, of, none of us had perfect parents, in, in this sinful, broken world, often family, and maybe even as I'm talking about it, this is what you're feeling. Family is a place of pain. Family is a place of drama. You know, family is a place to avoid. But we still long for a family. We still long for a family. Every person on earth longs for a place where they can feel safe and feel valued and feel loved. So into this situation where everyone longs for a family, and yet often everyone struggles to experience that, God, God says, I see your heart, and I'm creating a family for you. I see your heart, I see your longing, and I'm creating a family for you. I am creating a place where you can experience safety and value and love. My son gave his life to create a family like that for you. This is why we need church. This is one reason. This is why we need church. It is a place, to, it is a place where that kind of love is in operation. And so as your pastor, as your pastor, I love seeing you love each other. I love seeing people after a service, they're, they're praying for each other. I love that. I love seeing people at our service, you know, they're out front, they're greeting people, they're welcoming people, you know. I love hearing about small groups that have organized meals to take to someone who just got out of surgery or, 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 or visiting someone in the hospital. I love hearing about a small group, just heard about this small group of men who went on a retreat together and, and, and they just began to <clears throat> share at deep levels and get, just hear each other's hearts. I love walking by um, throughout the week and seeing women's groups that are meeting here and, they, and these ladies are sharing with each other and they're carrying each other's burdens. I love seeing the church be, a, be family. You guys do this so well, and it is awesome. It is inspiring, and it is exactly what our broken world needs to be loved like that. And to think the only reason this is possible is because of what God our Father has done for us. See, when you know you are loved by God the Father, you are free to love others, even the prickly ones. Um, when you know you don't have anything to prove, you are free to encourage and bless others rather than compete with them. God, the Father's love for us, frees us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family. Now, I realize 
And I want to just take a moment here because I realize some of you have a really hard time experiencing or even thinking about God as father because perhaps you had an earthly father who was horrible. You had an earthly father who was abusive or neglectful or, or hurtful. And you, what happens is we naturally project onto God the father all of this negative baggage that we maybe had from, from our own father, right? And, and we may think, a lot of people, oh, that's all in my past. That was just when I was a kid, and it doesn't affect me today. That's a bunch of garbage, you know? We, you know, we think, oh, we don't need to look at that. We don't need to deal with it. The reality is we, we can't experience, when we can't experience God as father, it makes it really difficult to experience the family he's created for us. When we can't experience God as this loving father, it makes it really difficult to experience the family that he's created for us. See, this, this, this vertical relationship enables these horizontal relationships to happen. God wants you to experience him as your perfect father. So how do you do that? How do you do that if your image of father is so broken and so negative? Here's how. It's by seeing the kind of father that God is. And how do we know that? How do we know what kind of father God is? By looking at Jesus. Jesus, in John 14, he said to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. So Jesus shows us what the father is like. Jesus is not abusive. He is not distant. He is not uncaring. He is not inattentive. He is not too busy. No, no, no. He is full of grace and truth. He is compassionate and loving. In his love, in his love, you are safe. You are valued. You are, you are accepted. Now, for some of you, the only way you're ever going to be able to fully experience God as your loving father is by choosing to forgive your earthly father. Some of you have already been on that journey. Others of you need to be on that journey because that's the only way you're going to experience God as your loving father. It's by bringing those wounds from your earthly dad, bringing those wounds to the cross and releasing your bitterness to Jesus. It's bringing it to the cross so that you can experience the Father's love the way he wants you to and experience his family the way he wants you to. So by the way, if you feel stuck in sort of the past or you think, I, can, I don't know how to forgive my dad, I don't know how to work through all that stuff, we have a ministry here called Hope Abounds. It's an amazing ministry. It's a prayer ministry where you can sign up. It's a free appointment. You can sign up. And we have a, just a loving, caring um, uh, team, uh, just two people that would, two or three people that would just pray with you through those things. And so we encourage you, you can call the church office um, to, to sign up for Hope Abounds. If you feel like you just need some help in walking through some forgiveness stuff or painful things. You know, it's really significant in light of this, what we were just talking about in verse 20, Paul says that this household, this family, it's built upon the foundation with, with G, a foundation with Jesus as the cornerstone. 
This idea of a cornerstone was how buildings would be built in Paul's day. They would look, the people, they would look to find this perfect stone, right, that had all the right angles. So they'd search around all the stones to find the perfect stone. And that stone, that perfect stone, was then laid at a critical place in the foundation to make sure all everything else would be properly aligned. So it was sort of like a blueprint that established the correct placement of the entire building. That one stone establish the placement of the entire building. And Paul says, Jesus is our cornerstone. Jesus is our cornerstone. The, the, the only way we can forgive, the only way we can love the way he wants us to love is when we live with him as the cornerstone, right? As our, our foundation. His love aligns everything else in our family. His love aligns everything else. Okay, so, so this is one aspect. One aspect of the family that God has created in Christ is love. Because Christ loves us, we can love each other. That's why we need a church family. That's why we all need a church family. The church is to be this safe place where anyone and everyone feels loved and valued and accepted. They feel at home. And Jesus is the one who makes that possible. Okay, but there's something else. There's a second thing that we see in this passage, a second thing God's family offers us as well. So God, secondly, God's family, God's created family provides a place to thrive. Not only to feel loved, but to thrive, a place to grow. So let's look again at the language Paul uses in this passage. He moves back and forth between this imagery of family and building. So verse 21, in him, in Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Okay, so who is the building? You and I are. We're the building. So the building is God's family. The building is, is, is it's the church, right? So here's the key question. Is this building project completed? No, it is not. Paul says in him, he says, in him, you two are being built together. In other words, we are a work in progress. We are a work in progress. God is wanting to grow us in him. He wants us to thrive as we become more like Christ. And his family becomes a crucial part of this building process. God places us in his family in order to help us reach our full potential. The word Paul uses here, fitted, it speaks of someone who is able to take these very different parts, these disparate parts, and fit them together so that they function best. See, here's the deal. There is something about the way God has made us that is able to be fully realized in his family. It is only able to be fully realized in his family. There's something about the way God has made you that is able to be fully realized in his family. See, apart from that, apart from that family, these things in us, they don't get developed and utilized as fully as God intended. I mean, think, of, think about what Jesus did with his disciples. Okay, you got Peter, who was pretty strong-willed and impulsive. You got John, who had some anger issues. You got Matthew, who was kind of on this fast track to make money as a tax collector, okay? And what does Jesus do? He calls these guys into this relationship. What does he do? He invites these guys into a family, right? He invites them into this community with him. 
And they begin to see themselves differently. So Peter no longer sees himself as this rough fisherman. He begins seeing himself as a leader, as a spokesman, and he becomes that. And Matthew no longer sees himself as a guy just trying to climb the ladder of of success or whatever, financial security. No, no, no. He sees himself as an influencer of others. He ends up writing one of the accounts of Jesus' life. We wouldn't have the wonderful account in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. We would not have that if Matthew had said no to being a part of what God was building. And John, you know, the guy with the anger problem, he became the apostle who always talked about love. Had they said no to Jesus' invitation into this faith community, their lives would have continued but they wouldn't have flourished. Their lives would have continued. They just wouldn't have flourished. They wouldn't have reached their full potential in Jesus. See, by enfolding them into community, they grew, they grew into the people God longed for them to become. So that makes me wonder how much potential just goes unused when Christians decide they don't need God's family. How much potential goes undeveloped when Christians realize, I don't need God's family? And again, I'm not, I'm not simply talking about going to, going to church. You know, I'm not talking about just going to church. I'm talking about being engaged in a community of faith where Jesus uses the people around you to inspire you and challenge you to live differently. That's what I'm talking about. I think of a friend of mine who was doing well as a business person, successful business, kind of going through the motions of, of Christian life, Christian definitely going to church, all this stuff. And then one day he heard a Christian businessman speak about how this guy views himself as a missionary. Even though he's a businessman, he views himself as a missionary and he leverages his business to bring hope to other people and to influence other people positively. My friend was so inspired He was so inspired to see his business differently. And so whenever I see him now, he's always talking about another idea he has uh, that God has given him to leverage his life and his business to impact more people for Christ. It's, it's, It's awesome. And here's the deal. If he hadn't been connected to God's family, where someone could speak into that way into his life, if he hadn't been connected to God's family, all that amazing kingdom potential would be used for self rather than for something eternal. I was talking with some other friends recently who told me the story of how in response to a message that I had given a couple years ago, they had made a decision, a significant decision to start tithing. A tithing just is, tithe, tithe means 10%. So they had made this decision to give 10% of their income to God. That is a huge thing. That's a huge deal. And it was not easy for them. It was not easy for them to make that decision, but they, they chose, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to put God first in, in, in our finances. And God began to do some really cool things in their lives. And they were telling me some of these stories of the things God had done since they had, since they had made that step. And, I mean, they, they were overjoyed. They were amazed at God's goodness. Their faith in God was alive in a way that it hadn't been before. All because they had chosen to engage in God's family and allow God to speak into their lives through his family. Now, I know life is busy, and being a part of a church family takes time and effort, and it's easy to let that kind of get squeezed out of our lives. I get that. But do we ever think about, do we ever think about what we are missing out on when we allow that to happen? 
Our lives will go on with or without church. Seriously. I'm not going to try to, oh, your life's going to fall. No, no. Our life is going to go on with or without church. But what are we missing? What are we missing out on when we disengage? I remember a season when I was not in a good place as it relates to a particular temptation in my life. The, the temptation of pornography it was kind of, um, it was kind of kicking my butt. Um, so in the midst of that, I had a conversation with a brother in Christ who was in a similar battle, and he shared with me something that had been really helpful to him. He shared with me about how every week he has this check-in with his wife. And so for 30 minutes every Wednesday night, they grab a cup of coffee and he shares with her the kind of the emotions that he's been experiencing that week because so often porn is not about sex. It is a way to hide our true selves. It's a way to, it's a way to medicate other emotions. And so he shared with me how in this weekly time with his wife, they, they, they talk about their hearts and how they're doing. And so when I, when I heard him share that, I thought, that's what I need to do. I need to do that. Um, see, my struggle was in large part a result of choosing to hide, you know, choosing to not open my heart to Raylene about what's going on inside of me. I mean, it's easier to stuff those things. I'm a guy, okay? You know, I'm a guy. What can I say? Um, and so, so I just, so I started doing that. Um, every Wednesday night, we sit down and I, and I share what emotions I've been experiencing that past week, how I'm doing with temptation, all that stuff. She shares her heart as well. It, it was life-changing for me and our marriage it put me in this place of thriving rather than surviving. And had I not been connected in relationship to that brother in Christ, had I not allowed him to speak into my situation, I would still be in a place of hiding and withdrawing and succumbing to the old temptations. I need God's family in order to thrive in order to reach my potential in Christ. And you do too. You do too. When you disengage from the family of God, for whatever reason, for busyness, travel, work, priorities, conflict, whatever, when you disengage from God's family, you remove yourself from a God-given context designed to help you thrive and grow. You remove yourself from a God-given context to help you thrive and grow. Let me say it this way. Sometimes, sometimes you need to get offended by a sermon to begin to explore what nerve got triggered and why. You need to be offended sometimes to look into your own heart and find out what made me so mad about that. Sometimes you need someone in your small group to get under your skin so that you learn how to be patient. Sometimes you need to disagree with a church leadership decision or you need to sit through a service where the song choices are not your preference in order to learn that it's not about you. If you are removing yourself from God's family in such a way that no one can challenge you or offend you or do something you don't like, you are removing yourself from God's method of transforming you into the likeness of Christ. <laughs> 
God uses his family to build us into the people that he wants us to be. And the more fully we choose to engage in that family, the more likely we are to thrive and grow and reach our God-given potential. Now, this is definitely not the easiest path. I know that. It is not the easiest path, right? I mean, there are way easier paths. I mean, you know, being engaged in God's family involves sacrifice. It involves inconvenience sometimes. It involves serving others. But isn't that how a family works? Right? I mean, that, sometimes family's not convenient. You know, so is that, that's how a family works. And God has given us, all of us here, a precious gift the gift of being a part of his family, a community in which we can love and be loved, a place where we can thrive spiritually. So if you feel alone, if you feel like your family is falling apart, if you feel like you are surviving in life but you're not thriving, God has created a family for you. He's created a family for you. You don't have to live on your own. You don't have to convince anyone you're significant. This is family. This is home. Now, in, in the Bible, there, there's a powerful symbol that represents entering into this family, and that symbol is baptism. Baptism. We usually don't think of it this way. Baptism symbolizes a person's faith in Christ. But check this out. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. Paul says this. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Notice, baptism, we all know this, it's a symbol of new birth, right? But think about this, when you were born, you were born into a family. You couldn't, you know, adjust that, right? You were just born into a family. And the same thing is true spiritually. When we choose to place our trust in Christ, at that moment, we become part of God's family. And baptism actually symbolizes that. It symbolizes the fact that we are born, we are, we are born anew into, not just individually, we are born into a family, the family of God, God's family. So during our worship time in a, few, in a few minutes, we're going to see some people in our church get baptized as a symbol of their faith in Christ. And here's what I encourage you to do. As you're watching and as you're celebrating that, I want to encourage you to think about how you also are a part of God's family, which is a precious gift to you. It's a gift that cost Jesus his life. It cost Jesus his life. It's a gift that we all need in order to thrive. All right, let's pray. So Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here. Father, we thank you for the gift of family, this place where we can be valued and loved and accepted and safe and this place where we can thrive and grow into the people that you want us to become and I, I want to just pray on behalf of all of us here we want to experience all that you have for us in your family
So, Father, would you help us experience you as our loving Father, as our heavenly Dad? I pray for those here who did not have a good family situation, and, and I pray you would heal any hurts that we carry from our own parents. I pray for the grace to forgive if we need to do that, the courage to forgive for our own sake so that we can be free to experience your love. And so I want to pray for that, Lord. Help us experience your love as our heavenly Father. And in that place, being freed then to love others and to create this and continue to cultivate this, this church family of love and grace and acceptance and safety. I pray for that. And the second part of this, Lord, we want to pray. We want to, we want to thrive. We want to thrive. We want to grow. We don't want to just take the easiest path. We want to thrive and mature and grow into the people that you want us to be, into the experience, the potential that you have for us. So in, in light of that, let me just encourage you here just to ask this question. We'll just take a moment. Just ask the Lord this question. Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to say to me about my engagement in your family? Just ask the Lord that. Father, I'm guessing that for some, there was a sense of just appreciation about maybe the, the connectedness they have and the people in their lives here in this, in, in this church or in their small group or, or whatever. And, and so just the sense of appreciation and gratitude. Thank you for that, Lord. For others, maybe there was a sense of a little bit of a nudge from you to move towards engagement in a deeper way moving towards a, a small group, moving towards whatever that engagement would look like, more consistent, attendant, whatever it is, just moving towards that. And so I want to pray just for grace and courage to go there so that we would experience all that you have for us in this family. And Lord, our heart is that you would use this family to display your glory and your love to the city and to this region and to the world. We're, we get to be a part of your plan. Not, not simply as individuals, we get to be a part of your plan because we're a part of this family you are creating and you've created. Thank you for that privilege, Lord. And thank you, God, for the people in this service in just a few moments who will be baptized as a symbol of their faith in you, a public demonstration of their faith in you, and also, Lord, this powerful symbol of being baptized into a community, into your family. And so we pray that this experience would be beneficial for all of us, not only for them, but for all of us as we celebrate the amazing God that you are. We love you, God. Thank you, Lord.
I wanted to get baptized because I wanted to give my life to Jesus, and um, I just wanted to be a follower of Him. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Allen was talking about a sermon about how you should, how much faith you should have in Jesus, and part of it was ankle deep water, knee deep water, waist deep water, and then water over your head. And I wanted to get baptized because I want to have faith in over my head. I used to be an addict, but I knew something inside me, you know, took those, took something took those cravings away. I ended up in jail with the Bible and I started reading it because I wanted to know for myself, you know, the understanding of God. I knew that he was there with me. I believed in God all my life, but I never, um, I never really knew what Jesus was all about. And I just want to commit to him because I think he's just powerful. And I'm powerful when I'm with him. About a year ago, my daughter and son-in-law asked me to come. And it was just the minute I walked through the doors, it was just like this peace that I've never known before came over me. It's, it's been a journey of learning what unconditional love is. It's been a great journey. It's been a hard journey, <laughs> but I'm ready. <laughs> I'm a recovering addict. Um, I've been a year clean, and I just, he's just been tremendous in my life. I'm getting baptized um, to leave uh, my past in the past, start a new future. My life's always up and down, and when I'm going through good times, I feel his presence, and when I'm going through hard times, and he's somebody that I know that won't ever leave me hanging or abandon me. He's always been there for me. Uh, he's always forgiven me. He's always been somebody to talk to, um, and that's been powerful to me. Um, now that I'm a father as well, um, I have to lead by example and teach them from right from wrong and, and, and how to get through things in life and not always have the answers, and I, I lean on my relationship with God with Christ. I just want to take the final step of surrendering um, and not and giving myself to him and uh, doing it in front of what I feel like my people, Christians. I was into drugs and running amok and so I've came closer to God here just recently when I went to the way home for women. It's changed basically from using drugs to not using drugs to having faith in God and wanting to be on the right path. During my marriage, I was the only Methodist secretary for a Jewish congregation in Wyoming. And so I never left my faith, but um, I want to reaffirm it. My life before Christ was a mess. I was under drugs and everything, and I was a car wreck. And now, I have a really good relationship with my aunt. I have a really good relationship with Christ. I'm in a really good place right now, and I'm happier. I'm going to get baptized because I accepted Christ, and if I want him and me to be friends. Before, um, my life was pretty hectic. Finally, I just dropped to my knees and said, you know, I, I need you back. Um, I, I can't full, I can't continue 
without you. Um, I can't walk. I can't can't walk anymore without you. I, I'm honored to be doing what I'm doing. I don't feel like this is something that I have chosen. This is something that God has chosen for me, that this is the right path for me, that the old me is now gone and I can walk happily and graciously.